0: Morning, friends. Um, Some of you may have on social media have thought that Josh Lee was preaching today. As you look in your flyers today, it says Hannah Carden. Uh, And I'm neither one of those folks. Uh, So I apologize for any confusion that you may have had. I am Christian Kuhn. I'm the lead pastor of Urban Village, one of the co-founders usually at the UBC South Loop site. Uh, But I try to make my way to the other sites from time to time. And I always love coming to Wicker Park. So it's great to be with you here today. So we are just starting out a new sermon series here at Urban Village that we're calling Failing Boldly. It's a short sermon series, three Sundays long. And one of the reasons that we are doing it is that the staff uh, was being very nice to me because I actually have a book coming out in a matter of days called Failing Boldly. I think we have a picture of that. There it is. Uh, And it's very exciting. It's been a long uh, process to be sure. But um, I also wanted to thank uh, all of you, because without Urban Village, there would be no book. And so uh, I share a lot of my experiences at Urban Village. And so I'm grateful for um, all of you just showing up and being present and being part of this community and giving me stories. Uh, and uh, so I'm grateful to you for that. So I want to talk a little bit about why I wrote this book in the first place. Um, you may or may not know in church uh, professional world, there are lots of books out there about how to grow your church, lots of books out there that talk about here is the church success story. And so a couple years ago, I was approached to think about writing something, and I thought about what I wanted to do and the kind of book that I wanted to write. And I thought about those books that are the church growth books or the church success story books or conferences that lots of uh, religious professionals go to in the shiny happy person stands up front uh, with a really cool mic and talks about how great their church is and they give you a three ring binder and I sometimes either after reading those books or walking away from those conferences felt a little depressed because I would think about my own context and my own ministry and I think I'm trying so hard and I'm working I think really hard why is not my church growing at like crazy rates like the guy or the woman on stage is And so I would feel a little bit bad. So that three ring binder would go on my bookshelf or any of the books and they would sometimes kind of collect dust. So when they approached me about writing something, I said, I don't want to write one of those books. Instead, I want to reflect on what we've done here at Urban Village and take a look at seeing this through the lens of failure and seeing this through the lens of vulnerability. Because not enough people talk about that. Like what happens when things don't go your way? What what happens when nobody shows up at what you want to do? What happens when... Uh, things occur that you weren't expecting so that was kind of the premise of the book and uh, throughout the book i also invited about a dozen of my friends to write short vignettes about tell me a time that you failed in ministry so one of my favorites was written by a guy named mike bachman mike is in dallas texas and he started a ministry called union coffee so it's a coffee shop slash uh, church i guess and so I want to read to you the story that he wrote that's in the book. And he said this. At least 15 to 20 law students from nearby Southern Methodist University studied on a daily basis at Union. The coffee shop and new church start that I, that I lead. A couple of them even came to worship with us on Tuesday nights. Our law school customers and worship attendees were loyal, but only made up a fraction of how many we could connect with. We launched a big event to raise awareness about Union on campus. We orchestrated a combination we were sure no law student could turn down, <clears throat> a panel of partners from nearby law firms, free Paps Blue Ribbon, and free peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We prepared for the multitudes and publicized like crazy, PBR, PBJ, and partners. Who could resist? Apparently the entire student body. The nearby homeless shelter got a lot of PB&J sandwiches, and I was drinking PBR for months lesson learned pbr pairs nicely with pb and j you should try it so there are lots of stories like that throughout the book and one of the things i wanted to say in the book and one of the things we want to say in this sermon series is to emphasize the fact that uh, whether you realize it or not everybody fails everybody fails and as i was putting the book together What I was particularly interested in is exploring this, not only for people who are uh, leading churches, both laity and clergy, but I also was really interested in scripture stories that talk about failure or that show failure, too, and there are actually quite a few of them. I have one chapter in the book that is focused only on biblical stories of failure. One of them comes from this text that we are reading from today. And at first, when you first read through this scripture, and at first sometimes when I read Through this scripture, you don't necessarily think this is a failure story. In fact, the emphasis, most of the time, when we think about it, is around Thanksgiving and gratitude. Uh, In fact, on Thanksgiving Day, if you ever attend a worship service on Thanksgiving Day, often they'll be reading this gospel lesson. And that is understandable. It's a perfectly wonderful and good thing to get out of this passage. Here is this man with leprosy who goes back to Jesus and says thank you and shares gratitude. Again, great way to see this passage. But I will tell you, after starting, and Trey and I, Trey Hall, the other co-founder of Urban Village, as we kind of started Urban Village, and things were not quite going like we thought they would at first, and I came across this passage from Luke, I had another version of it, and that was, people were even fickle with Jesus. Now, what do I mean by that? So here we see, and we unpack this passage, and it says, that these ten men with leprosy are by the side of the road, and they are calling out to Jesus, wanting to be healed. Jesus hears them, responds to them, says, go and show yourselves to the priests, and they go through the process, and indeed, all ten of them are healed. Miracle story. And ideally, what would happen then is they would All ten of these individuals would go somewhere with Jesus, maybe the local coffee shop, and all of them would wait in a line and want to sit down with Jesus to tell him how much that they appreciated just what Jesus had done. But that's not what happened. As we read from the passage, only one, only one of the ten came back to say thank you to Jesus so I imagine perhaps some kind of if there were denominational officials or big church leaders at the time they might have pulled Jesus aside and said Jesus you know you did a really good job of listening to people's felt needs you did a really good job of drawing a crowd but we are concerned about your stickiness factor (laughs) that you can bring lots of people here at a time but your retention rate leaves a lot to be desired maybe something you need to work on this is one failure, but just keep at it. Maybe something good will come out of what you're doing here. And so when I read this story for the first time, or read it and kind of was reminded of it, and I see what Jesus and how Jesus responded, and Jesus names the fact that only one show up, that nine didn't come back. Now, I, what probably happened is Jesus is using this as a lesson around gratitude and thanksgiving. Obviously, I don't know exactly what was going through Jesus' mind, but on days... When I feel like a particular failure or when something didn't go particularly well, I like to think that maybe there was a small part of Jesus' brain that said, what happened here? Why didn't the other nine show up too? Was it something that I did or something that I said? Again, I have no idea if this is what was going through Jesus' mind, but there are days when I like to pretend that indeed this is what happened. So, when we reflect on this, and when we reflect on what it means to live out our lives, let me say again, one of the messages that we want people to hear throughout not only the book, but also this sermon series, is this fact that everybody fails. But what happens is that sometimes when we fail, that we look at others around us, and we begin to assume that we are the only ones who fail that we are the only ones who screw up. And we see others in the room, perhaps, or we see others in our lives, and we think, boy, it seems like all of my friends, or colleagues, or coworkers, they've got it all together. And I'm the only one who's really messing up my life. I came across a term this week called imposter syndrome. And this was, uh, I don't know if it was originally coined by this woman, but a woman named Amy Cuddy, who has a very popular TED talk, also wrote a book called Presence. And she talks about imposter syndrome in her book. And she says that imposter syndrome is the general feeling that we don't belong. That we have fooled people into thinking we're more competent and talented than we actually are. Someone ever felt this way before? Like you go into a setting and you automatically, you see people who are very gifted or smart or beautiful or whatever. And you sing, wow. They have their act together. And then you look at yourself and you realize I don't. I don't know if I belong in the same room as these other people. And then you begin to go down that path and begin to think about it more and more. And as you do so, then you begin to lower yourself as you are, meanwhile, raising them up. And it's not a very good cycle that you are getting into. As part of this whole imposter syndrome thing, I read a really funny story this week uh, written by or told by a man named Neil gaiman Loveless. Some of you may have read about him or heard about him. He tells a time about when he was at this room, one of these gatherings with lots of talented people and he was beginning to feel some of those things. He was standing in the back of the room, it was the second or third day of this gathering and there was music happening up front. And he was standing in the back wondering like what it is that he is actually doing here in this space among these really talented people. And as he's standing in the back of the room, he starts chatting with this guy who's next to him, this elderly gentleman, and they begin to make small talk and, and also mention that they have the same first name, and isn't that funny? And so as Neil Gaiman is looking around at all of this, the gentleman who's standing next to him says this. He says, I just look at all these people, and I think, what the heck am I doing here? They've made amazing things. I just went where I was set. And so Neil Gaiman looks at the man next to him, and he says this. He says, Yes. Well, you were the first man on the moon, I think that counts for something. That was Neil Armstrong, who was standing next to Neil Gaiman. Neil Armstrong was standing there thinking, why am I in the same room with all of these very talented, gifted people? I just went where I was sent. And so Neil Gaiman began to think, if Neil Armstrong has the same kind of feelings, What am I doing in the room with all of these people? Maybe the rest of us kind of struggle with that too. And that's what can happen when we fail in our lives. And when we fail, not if, when we fail in our lives, we come to a point where we need to make a decision. We can either let our mind just go down the path and we begin to ask ourselves the questions, what did I do wrong? Why am I such a screw-up? Why am I such a failure? And we begin to ask those questions and we focus on the nine who didn't show up, for example. That's where our minds go. And that begins to eat at us, at our self-worth and who God has created us to be. That's one way we can go. When we have failed in our life and we have that decision to make, I have failed, now what do I do? We can go down the path of the nine or we can do what we try to encourage people to do every week and that is to follow in the way of Jesus and that is to do what Jesus did here in this same situation. So Jesus is there, and notice, he acknowledges the fact that some might see this as a failure. He says, he doesn't try to hide it, he doesn't try to bury it in some book or something like that. He says, where are the other nine? He names it, he's authentic, he kind of puts it out there. But, the key thing is, He then doesn't fret about it. He doesn't get anxious about it. He doesn't keep asking others. He doesn't pull around the disciples. What What did we do wrong? Why aren't we uh, retaining all of these people? Instead, Jesus then focuses on the one who did return. And he focuses on this one. And he gives thanks for this one who returned. And he begins to see this one who was there. And all of his attention is on the one who made it back. And that... In our times of failure is a decision that we have to make. We can either let our minds go down the road of the nine and imposter syndrome and all those other things, or we begin to name the fact that, yes, we have failed, and then begin to wonder, what might God be doing in the midst of this? Is there a one who has still returned? Is there still a one who is here in front of me? Might there be some little sliver of grace and love that is still present even in the midst of of the failure, and this, I think, is what Jesus is getting at, in addition to a story and a lesson about gratitude and thanksgiving. Now, you would think, wouldn't you, I have immersed myself in this whole topic of failure the last two years. I have written about it, I have read about it, people now send me emails about failure uh, all the time. Now, you would think, after immersing myself in failure, that I would be able to figure out how to respond to it in a healthy way and yet I fail at responding to failure. Still, it happened just this week. So on Tuesday, I don't know if any of you had a chance to go to any of the -the on-the-table gatherings that the Chicago Community Trust put on throughout the city. For those of you who don't know what that is, the Chicago Community Trust tries to organize uh, just what it says, to have people come together around these tables and sometimes there are topics of discussion and sometimes there's just a time for people to get to know their neighbors, actually get to know their neighbors and see where the conversation leads. So a few weeks ago I got an email totally out of the blue from the Field Museum and inviting me to an on the table gathering at the Field Museum. Now I live in the South Loop and the Field Museum is about three quarters of a mile from where I live. Now I don't know about, for those of you who live in the city, uh, well, this happens when you live in the city, that the big things of Chicago, you just kind of forget after a while. Or you may go and visit them if you have someone visiting you from out of town. But you just don't see them anymore. And for me, I run by the field all the time, but I can't remember the last time I'd actually visited the Field Museum. But I thought this would be a great opportunity for me to go and experience this on the table at the Field Museum. And so it sent me the email, I said I, I'm going to be there, I asked, repeat yes and they sent back the message saying, great, we're going to be meeting in lecture hall two. And so in my mind, I'm envisioning lecture hall two, and I'm imagining this really big space, and I would imagine there's probably about 10 tables or so, and I would imagine like eight or so people at each table. I was figuring 75, people, who knows how many people will be there at this space. So I walked over there and made it, and I was there right at 5.30, and I walked into the room, lecture hall two, and as I walked in, I noticed that there were only about four people there. And so I entered the space, and this really great spread of food that was there, and really good beer that was there too, I thought, well, you know, I'm right on time. Some people will be fashionably late coming after work and all these things so I start chatting with some of the folks who are there. And as we're chatting, and as five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes go by, I'm realizing like it's only going to be us, just the six of us, three of whom are actually people from the field, and I assume they had to be there. So only three people, from on the community came to this thing. And my gut reaction, my first thing was, as I'm talking to others, I must confess to you, I'm talking to them and about 80% of my attention is on what they're saying, and about 20% of my mind is like, boy, they must feel really bad about this. That only three people showed up to an on the table at the Field Museum, and so I started feeling bad for the poor, if I, was the, if I was in their shoes, I'd be like, why did no one show up? What did we do wrong? How did we fail in getting more people to come? But then we sat down. It was a really fascinating and eclectic group with the three folks from the Field Museum there, and then there was also a police officer who was there, and somebody from the Chinatown Business Association. So it was a really fascinating conversation as we were talking about the field's place in the neighborhood of the South Loop and in the city too. Others were sharing out of their own context and own stories. And so it was a really wonderful conversation, but at some point in the evening, I said to one of the field representatives, I said, boy, I, I feel really bad for you. I'm sorry there wasn't more of a turnout. And he looked at me with a kind of puzzled look on his face. And he said, I think this is amazing. I think this is great to be able to have this really intimate conversation with the folks at the table and begin to hear stories like we probably wouldn't have been able to hear it if there were so many others who were here. And at that moment, of course, whenever I prepare a sermon, usually what happens is I'm preparing for a sermon, it kind of pops up into my life that week. And as soon as that representative from the field said, I think this is great, all of a sudden it dawned on me, I was focusing on the nine who didn't show up. He was focusing on the one who did and I was starting to feel sorry for the people of the field, and in my own head, trying to think, I wonder what they could have done differently uh, to make this go better. I still am working on this in my own way. Let me say again, friends, everybody fails. This is probably one of the top things I have learned in the ministry. One of the first times that I'd start to meet with people in my first churches, and I would see people who seemed like they had their lives all together, And then when I got to know them and they would risk being vulnerable with me, I would realize like these real strong leader types seem like they have their life perfect. And I realized they're broken. They don't have their life together. They have a lot of stuff that they are working through and dealing with. And this happened time and time again. And finally sunk in. Everybody's broken. Everybody fails. At some point in your life, you will give a really bad presentation whether it's at school or at work. At some point in your life, if you haven't done so already, you will do something really stupid in a relationship. At some point in your life, at some kind of party, you will say the wrong thing. You will put your foot in your mouth. You will post a tweet or something on Facebook or a Snap or whatever, and you'll say, oh, I wish I had that back. It will happen, because we're human. That's part of the whole deal with being human. But when we do, I hope and trust that we can then begin to see it and name it and claim it and then begin to decide for ourselves, where will I let my mind go? Will I begin to get anxious about it and then let it fester for me to obsess on it? Will I go down the path of the nine and fret about the nine who didn't show up? Or, after the fail, then begin to say, or will I focus on the one? to learn from it and name it, all those things, but then also to see what might God be doing in the midst of this. And you may not see it right away, but I believe that there is some kind of little spark that's there, that God is still there and working in the midst of our failures. May we see that and know that and feel that and walk in the way of Jesus who taught us that As we go along and skin our knees and stub our toes every single day. Let's pray. God, I am grateful for how you created us and who you created us to be. Part of that not only is to be beautifully and wonderfully made, but also at times we fall flat on our faces. Lord, remind us of your everlasting presence in those times that we do so that we might have the courage to continue to risk and fail in those moments, knowing that you are with us. And we pray, too, that you would help us to see and know how you are present in the midst of the failures, how we can cling to you and draw inspiration and courage from you in those moments, too. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.